This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 13, Episode 23. This is Writing Excuses, Internal Conflicts for Characters. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Amal. I'm Maurice. And internal conflicts a few I'm months so ago. Conflicted. <laughs> <laughs> we did external conflicts, now we're doing internal conflicts. So what do I even mean by internal conflicts? These are problems that your character has with themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where your character, for for the purposes of, uh, of you know, dealing with, we, we've talked about character arcs, uh, but when we're, we're talking about this, in many ways your character is their own antagonist when mm. we're looking at internal conflicts. Almost every character is going to have these. They'll be of different weight to the story and relevance, but, I mean, we all... The, the whole idea of having a character in a story is generally to have this character learn or grow in some interesting way. And so there needs to be some conflict there or there can't be any growth. Yeah, and, and I will say that this is, as Brandon said, important if that is an aspect of the story you want to yeah. highlight. Many times you'll see mysteries that don't have this. It right. is if you are writing a story where – that is yeah. not important. It's fine. You can skip this podcast. But for everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> Howard talks about the idea of iconic heroes, mm-hmm. which are heroes who are there in the story and don't change necessarily, but the world changes around them. Yeah. Um, but we're talking about characters who change. And this is generally, this is the majority of characters. Um, doesn't have to be the way you do it, but how do you guys approach coming up with internal conflicts and facing them for your characters? Hmm. Um, there's a couple of different ways. So one is... Uh, you know, the realization of, you know, there's stuff that my character may want versus stuff that my character actually needs. Oh, yeah. Mm. And, uh, and that becomes a huge pivot point, uh, you know, in a story. Um, and then the other way is, uh, the other thing begins with the whole idea of like, all right, you know what? As a person, you know, I have, I have different things in my past I have to overcome that, you know, that they're just sitting in me. Um, and I may not always be even aware of their effect on me and how I go through my, my day-to-day world, but due to circumstance, all of a sudden that gets stretched up um, and causes me to react in ways that I may not have even imagined myself reacting. So uh, putting your character through those sort of paces of like, and now he's reacting this way. Why is he reacting this way? And then down the road, how does she overcome that? How does she change it in order to you know, move forward. Mm-hmm. Maurice, when you're building a story, do you generally come up with these ahead of time? Because you said you do your backstory bios and things like this. Hmm. Um, a lot of times I, I do um, because uh, for, for a lot of the times, you know, uh, world building and character building are for, for me to kind of the same activity. And so I'm, I'm just fascinated with, you know, who is this person that I'm dealing with? And I really want to get, I spend, I, I will spend, I'll spend, a, you know, weeks with a character before I, you know, before I even begin plotting, because I really want to get to know them. I invest a lot of time in getting to know this character because I can't write their story otherwise. Hmm. I find that, um, like, this, I think because I come out of theater um, and and I had improv training, that a lot of times I can just kind of jump in and, and go hmm. uh, with a character. But I, I find that, um, for me, the thing that, that the internal conflict springs from is... Uh, goes back to the the basics of uh, the mice quotient. Um, 
and, and the character arc begins when a character is is dissatisfied with their role. And as I've worked on this more, I realize that when I say role, what I actually mean is self-identity, mm-hmm. that, that our self-identity is absolutely sacred to us. And when something challenges that, um, whether it is an internal realization or something external that, that triggers that, that it it will cause the character to begin to fracture a little bit. And a lot of times these internal conflicts really are about watching a character come apart and put themselves hmm. back together again. Yeah. And and not always in the same, you know, they, they usually want to go back into the same configuration that they were in, yeah. but it, almost always they come up in a different configuration. Yeah. The the four kind of areas that I, I look at for for uh, self-definition, mm-hmm. um, our, our role, relationship, status, and competence, which I've talked about in previous episodes, but I knew this one was coming, so I've been <laughs> saving. Um, so role is defined by kind of career. Uh, it, it's a duty. It, it not, it's, it's defined by career. You know, these, these are the responsibilities that you have to your career. Uh, so, you know, I'm a puppeteer, I'm a voice actor, I'm an author. These all have certain responsibilities that go with them. Relationship are things that are defined by your duty to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, wife, daughter, sister, mentor. Uh, status is defined by class or hierarchy, mm-hmm. and the things that you you have to do because of the 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 status or the class or hierarchy where where you are. You're like the person that you have to obey because of where you are in in hierarchy or the person that you have to be kind to. I mean, you should just be kind to people in general, but because of where you are in hierarchy. And then competence is defined by the abilities, what pe- what expectations are placed on you because of the abilities. And these include the expectations that you have on yourself. Hmm. So, you know, that moment when the smartest person in the room isn't the smartest person in the room anymore. Mm-hmm. If someone calls you stupid, if you think you aren't smart enough, if you think you're too smart to do something. Yeah. So what what I like to do is is figure out those the places where these disparate aspects of self-identity come into conflict mm-hmm. with each other. Like, you know, uh, the the one everybody is probably familiar with is the conflict between role and relationship when when job and family come into conflict yeah. with each other. That's that's a very natural stress point, but you can also have that with with status, especially if someone shifts status and they were not expecting it, which happens to a lot of of people on the hero's journey. Right. Let me let me dig into this idea. Of something the idea of, of characters we talk a lot about having to confront this thing inside of them. Um, at what point do we have characters who just don't get it, don't know that they're doing something wrong, that they have any place to grow, and how do you make that shift between? everything is great, my life is going great, I don't need to change, showing the reader that they have something they need to learn without alienating the reader, and then making that shift to them deciding to work on this thing. Hmm. I mean, the the how there is contingent on so many, like, uh, situations. I mean, I, the, 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 the thing that I was um, thinking of in my own work uh, as Mary was talking about those things was um, I wrote a story called The Truth About Owls, uh, which is about... Uh, <laughs> it's actually not as autobiographical as it seems, uh, but uh, it's about a girl who uh, is, uh, she's, her background is both British and Lebanese, and she's in the UK, and she has um, a sort of difficult fractured family history, and she believes that she has this power to just make bad things happen to people when she's pissed off. Um, and in the beginning of the story, uh 
she quite enjoys this and she uh, because she's very unhappy and she uh, and it's like this this small measure of control that she has over things um but as her situation starts to change and as she is actually settling into something that looks more like happiness, she becomes terrified of this power uh, and she wants to try and find ways to, to, to amend or control or get rid of it. Um, so I don't know if that's like if that's answering any, <laughs> any of your questions, but I was just thinking through this because of the, the things that is that the, all of the internal conflicts that she has are to do with things like her family, um, the fact that uh, she has a difficult relationship with her mother and her father is dead, uh, and her role, uh, just of being a student, but her status of being an outsider uh, a few times over. Um, what was the other one? Competence. And competence. her competence is literally her power. And just the way that, like, the, the, the way that those things all kind of come together and resolve. But um, so in terms of not alienating the reader, uh, I guess I guess part of it is always to do with what contract have you set out with the reader in the first place? Um, is this character one who you do actually want to root for and why? And if the why is rooted in one side of the conflict and the uh, and, and then you're bringing in the other side of it, then, you know, is... I guess to bear in mind, do you want the character to be alienating or not? Well, and, and that, that, that why goes back to uh, the episode that we did last month on backstories, that mm-hmm. a lot of times the way you can keep from alienating a reader right. is by illuminating backstory, which lets you know this is why the character is carrying this particular piece of damage and why they're blind to this thing that they should perhaps be changing about themselves. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to try to shift them then frequently it requires an external catalyst, uh, something that happens in the world around them that triggers an internal reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking about uh, well, partly my life, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of this. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> where, where, uh, it's like I have this story that I tell about myself and, and the way I carry myself in this world, right? But you suddenly drop me in a different context. All of a sudden I'm telling a different story. Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, you know... 47-year-old Maurice, hey, how you doing? You know, I'm pretty confident and sure of myself. Drop me at a high school reunion, however. <laughs> oh. There's a reason I have not gone to any of right, mine. Oh, right. my God. But all of a sudden, you, 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 20-plus years of history, gone. All of a mm. sudden, you've reverted back to, I'm, I'm back in high school. You know? Well, this, is, so this is exactly why when you go home to stay with your parents. And that's, that was the other example I was going to give. Please. Right. Because, uh, uh, again— I, I think about this every time I hang out with my brother and sister, you know, for I, as soon as we get together, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter how old we are, we are, you know, a couple years apart, and we're all 13 again, hmm. and that's the way we tend to carry ourselves. And then, like, uh, last month, my mother, uh, who lives in Jamaica now, but she comes back, you know, so often to visit, and when I'm around my mother, all of a sudden, I'm my mother's son all over <laughs> again, which means, like, when we go to church, well, I'm normally just sitting in church and, like, I'm, you know— you guys do your thing. I'm just sitting at church. If my mother's there, like, no, you will stand up right now. Yes, mom. You know, I'm like, like, what just happened to me? <laughs> yeah. Well, and and that's that's this thing where your your status is shifting back and forth the entire time you're there, because you've got the status of you are a parent mm-hmm. and you are an adult, and then you are suddenly sh- status shifted, right. and you don't have control over when that status shifts. Mm-hmm. I was talking to um, to my dad at one point, and mom had done something that had made me disproportionately angry. And, and I was talking to my dad like, I don't understand how mom knows exactly which buttons to push. And he said, well, she installed them. <laughs> <laughs> and, wow. <laughs> and it was like, oh, right. 
this is this is a thing where I am in in uh, you know the the internal conflict of I am I am my mother's child and I am also an adult and I can't be both at the same time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn five dollars into one hundred and fifty dollars instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code Champion One Fifty. Then. Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Let's go ahead and pause for our book of the week. Um, It is uh, Unkindness of Ghosts. Yes, by Rivers Solomon. Uh, Oh my gosh, this book... Just it absolutely blew me away. It's um, so River Solomon is uh, British and non-binary. I think uh, so. This is their debut, uh, and it's like I, I would never have known it was a debut. From it's so sophisticated, and it's doing all of the things that we've been talking about. Um, it has a brilliant weaving of backstory into the narrative in a way that almost isn't flashback. It's more of a kind of almost fragmented narrative. The story is about, um, so what it imagines is a Southern plantation in a generation ship uh, that has been moving away from Earth for something like 325 years. And the uh, mother, sh- the, the generation ship is organized in, in a literal like stratification of, of its society. So you have the upper decks are mostly um, light-skinned people or, or entirely light-skinned people. And the lower decks are entirely dark-skinned people. And the lower decks are exploited for the benefit of the upper decks and in horrific, tyrannical ways. Um, and your point of view character throughout this is mostly Aster, who um, appears to be autistic uh, and is also uh, has a kind of shifting status because of her friendship with someone in the upper decks. And uh, she's a, and she's a healer, and she moves through the decks, and you get this just brilliant, brilliant sense of life. Uh, in in these circumstances and how it can be horrifically constrained and yet like these are still the 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 resistance inherent in everything it's like at the same time that I want to say it's a very it's it's not a happy book but I usually have a lot of difficulty reading horrific things happening to people and yet in this case I was just riveted by everything because Aster is such a compelling character and um and everything that happens is so feels like it's in conversation with our stories about the history of the US. So a lot of it is just just frankly contradicting stereotypes of things like mammies and things like um Jezebels and and like uh, just all of these stereotypes for which we have names as a consequence are being just skewered in incredibly intelligent and deft ways and it's brilliant. Awesome. And yeah. it's called Unkindness of Ghosts. Yes. Um, so there's something I want to talk about in this podcast that is potentially a little bit sensitive. Um, and this is the idea of mental illness as um, internal conflict. 
And the reason I wanted to bring this up is I've seen a lot of it from my students. I've seen a lot of it in writing and this idea that every internal conflict writers sometimes think think is something that needs to be fixed or overcome, Mm. um, which I don't necessarily think is the case, particularly if you're looking at something like depression or anxiety. Um, You can have an character arc where you are learning to deal with this thing that you have that is a part of who you are and is probably always going to be a part of who you are. Now, that depends. Like, I don't even want to imply that there are some – that people don't get – yeah. yeah, because the the thing about, you know, when we, we talk about a big umbrella word like yeah. mental illness mm-hmm. is because um, it, it comes in in a lot of different varieties and something that to one person would be look at and go, well, that's mental illness. Someone else would be, well, that's just not – it's neuroatypical. It's not It's right. not an illness. It's right. just It's just a state of being. If we, if we look at two examples even just from my life, um, one of my family members went into a very deep depression because of certain events, and this was a thing to get over and fix, and they have not had depression since. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an isolated incident, and they needed a very specific sort of um, struggle to come over, uh, get over it. Uh, another member of my family has depression and has always had depression and will always have depression. And this is not something to fix. It's certainly something to learn how to deal with, but it is a part of who she is. And it is something that she constantly is going to be struggling with. Um, and those are two different approaches. And somebody else, they, you can imagine things on the mental spectrum where it's just this is an aspect of my personality rather than I'm not broken. But you still have character struggle to learn to interact with the world using it, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I, I think that this is one of the things – that that I've found when I have when I have chosen to give a character something that is neuroatypical, um, that very frequently our training as a writer is to look at the pain point and dig into it, and then try to make that the plot of the story. Mm-hmm. And and I think that while you can tell a story that is compelling that way, frequently those stories have been told, and you're not actually telling a new story. Hmm. Um, that what's more interesting for me is to watch the character, uh, watch how that informs the way in which they move through the world, yeah, uh, and and watch the conflicts that arise because of the way they are moving through the world, rather than having them have it as a goal to to try to to fix. And this is not to say that you. I, I just want to be clear: you can absolutely write a story in which a character has something that they are not comfortable with about themselves and they are trying to fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also have them want to try to fix it and then realize that they would uh, – basically every story uh, is going to wind up in a positive or negative state. Mm-hmm. So there's the question you raise for the reader. This is a very mechanical way to look at it. There is the question you raise at the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, which is will the character succeed in the change that they're making? Running parallel to that is another question for a character story, which is, will this change make them happy? Mm -hmm. Uh, Each of those can wind up in a positive or negative state. So a positive state is, yes, they made the change. And a positive state doesn't make them happy, yes. Um, But you can also have the, they do not make the change, does that make them happy? Yes. Mm -hmm. You can have, they make the change that makes them unhappy. So what you can do is, is look at these things. The danger when you are dealing with a mental illness, is that uh, if this character is the only representation of that illness in this story, 
the danger is that you are making a social commentary mm-hmm. that, uh, and because of the infrequency with which these stories are um, are told in a in a sensitive manner, yeah. uh, very often you may be writing a story that will directly contradict someone else's lived experience in ways that uh, are coupled with a something that will feel like a moral judgment. I think that what you're touching on here too is that talking about some things, and I think we're going to address this in a different podcast, just come with more baggage. Uh, that there, and, and by baggage here, I mean specifically that there is a weight, a literal social weight of, uh, of understanding about those issues. And it's frequently erroneous and not nuanced. Uh, and I think that where mental illness is concerned, that's absolutely the case. Um, that, and, that, uh, and that even though um, there is, I mean, I, I, I have a friend who has Asperger's and uh, we had a conversation once where she said, you know, uh, people will sometimes, uh, I, I sometimes ask my friends if they would prefer that I didn't have Asperger's. And they say, no, 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 of course not, because it's part of who you are. But I would quite like to not have Asperger's, you know, like, and even though that is an absolutely true thing that my friend has said, that's something I would feel very uncomfortable representing in fiction because of the weight of, mm. of this understanding that, no, it needs, things like this need to be fixed. We need to normatize, it need to be normative in our, in our things. Yeah. Um, if, if you've read uh, Speed of the Dark by Elizabeth Moon. I haven't. It's, yeah. um, it's m- wonderful. It's a wonderful, but it's an amazing audiobook. Mm. Um, and it deals with autism in it, this in this manner. Yeah, uh, uh, a cure for autism is discovered, and it's the question: Do you use this cure and become a different person, or not? Yeah, right. and it's the character trying to dis- to make that decision. But they they live in a community where autism has been cured in the womb, and uh, and someone has they have just figured out how to potentially do it for adults, hmm. um, and so these characters are trying to make that decision and not all of them make the same choice. Mm. Um, and, and that is, that is one of the reasons that it works because it, it presents multiple aspects of that choice. It's not, it's not just a blanket statement and it's something that the characters wrestle with the question of how much does this define me? Mm. One of the, the best examples of, um, one of the things that helped me decide to, to, that it was okay to take medication to deal with depression because mm-hmm. I, the, the social stigma against it was so large for so much of my life was someone, um, and I wish I could remember who, it was a, a meme that got passed around on Facebook, huh. said that, um, that they had resisted it until their doctor told them, look, if you have diabetes, your body doesn't make insulin mm-hmm. and you don't have any problems taking insulin. When you have depression, there are chemicals that your body isn't producing. Why do you have problems taking that chemical? Absolutely. And and that is that is the one of the things when you're dealing with a character with with mental illness that uh, or someone who is is not neurotypical that uh, recognizing how many different things you are reinforcing when you are having them uh, by the ways in which you struggle have them struggle with it and, and making sure that you're dealing it with it in a uh, a nuanced and full way. Mm-hmm. Excellent. That's a very good way to put it. And just to kind of reinforce something you said earlier, not every story has to even make this the main conflict. Right. Um, I have my loved one with depression gets really frustrated at every book that she'll pick up 
uh, with a character with depression, that's all they are. Yeah. That's their whole yeah. story. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I've got, um, yeah, I have, I have a lot of feels about that. Uh, yeah, so, uh, that actually became, it becomes one of the sub-themes for uh, uh, my middle grade detective novel that I was talking about in that, so I've, I'm diagnosed with a bipolar disorder, and I'm also hypomanic. Um, and my, uh, my nephew is uh, on the autism spectrum. And so so I'm very cognizant of how labels can be used to define people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that becomes one of the themes for the middle grade, you know, with uh, the idea that w- when something goes wrong in the school, they round up the usual suspects. Well, what they deal with, what each of the characters have to deal with is the fact that each of them has a label, some of them are struggling with ADHD, for example. Some mm-hmm. of them might be on the spectrum. Um, and so this becomes like a sub-theme uh, of, the, of the novel is what, is re- what does it mean to recognize mm-hmm. this aspect of you without necessarily wanting to be everybody's fix-it project? Right, right. <laughs> Can I just recommend quickly two things? Um, the, uh, talking about bipolar um, stuff, I read this uh, really wonderful autobiographical uh, cartoon memoir um, Cartoon memoir. What are words even? Graphic novel. Graphic. It's not, but it's not a novel. It's mm-hmm. like so. Um, it's it's called Marbles: uh, Mania, Depression, Michelangelo, and Me by Ellen Forney, uh, in which she talks about being an artist with uh, uh, who is bipolar and and having that like internal series of what well, what if my creativity is tied to my mm-hmm. mania uh, and what are my like how do what if I'm in managing my um, my moods and my brain, I actually edit out parts of myself. So she goes into that and it's, it's really beautifully drawn and, and uh, I really, really, it was very illuminating for me. Um, but talking about characters that, uh, ha- that, that have mental illness on the page, but it doesn't define them, but it does inform them, um, I have to recommend Michelle Baker's uh, Borderline. Oh my goodness, yes. It's so, so excellent. And, I, and the second, so it's a trilogy. Um, the first two books are out. The third one may be out by the time you hear this, actually. It will be because I already have an arc. <gasps> <gasps> oh, I'm so jealous. So uh, Borderline is the first one. And the main character is uh, bisexual. Um, has uh, is is also an amputee and uh, has, has borderline personality person. disorder, mm-hmm. uh, and none of those things define her. She's also a detective who is uh, she, she's sort of thrown into the role of being a detective in Fairyland, sort of thing, um, or or border control. Either way, it's great. The second book, Phantom Pains, is even better. Yeah, it's really wonderful. And uh, and Michelle Baker has disclosed that she is herself. Uh, she does herself. She is she has BPD as well, um, and talks about I think in blog posts the ways that this informs the the character that she writes and how that character is not her at all. Yeah, but yeah, we are out of time. Uh, we will dig more into topics like this in coming months. Uh, for now, Mary's going to give us some homework. Yes. Okay. So uh, in the first half of this podcast, I talked about role, relationship, status, and competence. What I want you to do is sit down and figure out what each of those are for a character, what their role is, what their relationship, how, you know, and and for each of these, they'll have multiple aspects you know, like their relationship. You may have three or four relationships listed there. And then figure out how their role is creates conflict with their relationship, how relationship creates conflict with status, and how status creates conflict with incompetence, within competence, not with incompetence. <laughs> or though maybe so, yes. Um, and how competence creates conflicts with their role. All right. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production. Jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, 
Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 